and welcome to episode 47 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, August 20th, 2020. That's a lot of 20s. It's a good thing it's not episode 20. But a big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going just fine here in San Francisco County. Although, can we, we must. Time for our annual wildfire update. Yeah, we are sending our thoughts and good wishes and for safety and rain, frankly, Mm -hmm. for pretty much every other county in California and especially our surroundings because it's it's on fire again we had epic thunderstorms roll through here which is super rare for san francisco first of all we had huge thunderstorms roll in over the weekend with lots of lightning strikes and that has caused many fires in our area and you know it's a it's a battle so and i know we have yeah listeners and and followers that are in the fire areas and and I have family that's been evacuated. And so we hope everyone continues to stay safe. Yeah. Reality of global warming and life in California and all of that. But we are good. Kids are starting school again, which is interesting to say the least. Yeah. But Um, I'm happy that they have a little bit of a structure and that they're getting up in the morning <laughs> as opposed to their as opposed to their summer yeah um so we're yeah we're forging ahead for sure all right we will forge ahead with on the needles on the easel on the table on the nightstand and bingo we are getting close to the end we'll talk more about that later um so for on the needles there is a lot of yarn going on in my life right now. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's a little overwhelming. My corner living room is kind of exploded. <laughs> and my husband, every time he walks in the front room, is kind of, I can feel his, his brain start to hurt because he likes things neat. And it, it is a little bit of a mess, but I've got so many projects going. I know. Why don't, why don't they understand this problem? <sighs> I don't know. I try, I try to contain, but then I'm working and you know, and I put it down and go away and, you know, and I come back. You just can't, you can't contain this kind of joy. And I wish they would just get on board because <laughs> we have enough problems. <laughs> Very so anyways, my beautiful, beautiful projects. Um, I finished the downpour socks. That's patterned by Susie White, who's Prairie Girl Susie. These are socks that I started in September, 2017. So not quite three years. The yarn is from Lollipop Yarn. And it is a self-striping. It's mostly a nice medium gray. And then the stripes are, the smaller stripes are of uh, pink and white and speckle. It's called What's New Pussycat. It's adorable. And it came with a mini skein of the speckle. So I did the heels and toes and cuffs in that because I felt that I needed more, more of the pink in my life and my socks. It's a really cute pattern. It's got a, a panel along front and side that looks like raindrops. Yeah, it was a little bit of a close call, a little bit of yarn chicken with the 
contrast for the for the heels. Um, it worked out fine, but I was definitely worried about running out. But I did not, so that was good. And it's nice. I haven't I haven't finished a pair of socks for myself in a little bit, so that was kind of fun. Although then we had a heat wave, so I haven't really been wearing knit socks. I have currently entered into three mystery knit alongs. Three. Three, I know. I added another one. So the first one is Nice to Know You by Sarah Shira, who is Imagine Landscapes. I did her winter gnome. Yes, winter gnome earlier in the year. Um, so this is a summer gnome. So it was a little bit very simple knitting. The final clue came out yesterday. So you have until the end of the month to finish up. So if you want to join in the fun, you do still have time. Not a lot, but some. It's an adorable gnome. They're so cute. And she's done a bajillion of them now. And they're all a little bit different and all have something cute and clever and special about them. And she keeps coming up with new ideas, which is, I guess, why she is a designer. And I just look at her patterns in awe. So this guy has a little curly cue on his hat. He's got a cabled beard. You knit with the yarns held double. So you have four different colors. So you knit with like color one and two and then color two and three and then color three and four. And so you get this cool marauded effect and your colors are all scattered throughout the whole thing. Did you have enough gray for his beard? Cause you were worried about that last time. Right. I think I would have, I decided I didn't want to risk it, especially when I saw that it was cables. So I went and found another gray fingering. That's it's a little bit thicker, but it's, almost the same color, um, just so I didn't have to worry about it. And I think I might've had enough, but I just, I feel better about it overall. Good. Although now I still have some gray left over in the one, in both of them. But um, yeah, so my gnome is two shades of pink. The beard is gray and my super contrast color is uh, ocean blue, I would say. Most of the yarn, the pinks and the gray are from Lady Dye Yarns, that was my leftover from my um, Criterion cowl that I did a few episodes ago. And the blue is three Irish girls adorned sock in the colorway Bayside. It turned out super cute. I'm so excited. I still need to, I just finished the beard this morning. I still need to do, he's going to have a kangaroo pouch on his stomach. So cute that you can put his little arms in. It's going to be so adorable. So I still need to finish that and sew the beard and the arms and the nose on. It was fun. And it was nice because it's, it's just a little bit of knitting every day. So that one is done. Um, and then I started on the Sharon show by Casapinka, which is a giant scarf, shawl, wearable blanket type thing that is run by her cat. <laughs> the pattern, oh, yeah. it's so funny. And that was part of the reason why I ended up giving in and, and deciding to do it because the pre-knit along information and posts were really funny. And then when I got into the the clues, all our name have, each section has a funny name, like glasses to knock off high shelves kind of thing. And so it's, it's similar to the Criterion Cal that I did recently, where it's fairly small sections of, you know, maybe 12 to 16 rows and a pretty simple textured stitch. Some of them will just be plain, you know, you'll do like a bunch of plain stripes. And then she's got some really cool stitch patterns that I haven't done before. She's got some slip stitches and it's just delightful. So I'm really enjoying that. It's super bright colored. There's This one is also four colors. So my gnome was two pinks and a gray and a blue. This one is two blues and a pink and a gray. <laughs> so clearly I have 
a theme going in my life, surprising no one. So the yarns that I'm using are from 100 Ravens, Forbidden Fiber Company, Three Irish Girls, and Yarntini, which I don't know if Yarntini's around anymore, but I've had that yarn forever. So I'm really enjoying it. It's just a lot of fun. Some of them are more complicated, but generally it's all pretty much TV knitting. Um, and it's, it's great. I'm really enjoying that. And then, so then the third one is the Craftivist Mystery Knit Along with Lady Dye Yarns. And I'm doing the knit along. There's also a crochet along with some different designers and a different yarn and a different pattern. This was a kit that I bought. And the designer is Francoise Denoy, who is Aurora Knits. I have been very intrigued by her patterns for a while, but they are very textured and intimidating. So I haven't actually knit them. So when I saw she was the designer for the knit along for this kit, I was pretty excited and definitely wanted to sign up. And also the yarn, which is the Lady Dye Yarns um, Superwash Fingering is in an amazing teal color and it's just gorgeous. And I think she said that it was gonna be like a blue green. So, you know, that was definitely a selling point. And then we got some little stitch markers, a pin and a project bag. So very cute. And the pattern is called... Tefenua. She's Maori, and that is in Maori. And I um, I believe it means the land. The first section, I think it's, she's, she talked a little, she's talked a little bit about it, and it's going to be four different lace sections. The first one is pretty gorgeous and, and wasn't too complicated. So that was nice. So I'm excited to see how the rest of this is going to unfold. I think she said it's going to be a triangular shawl. Yeah, so I have different things to, to work on. Um, nothing too terribly complicated. The lace takes a little bit of, of mental paying attention, um, but overall pretty good. And then, but then I was doing, I think I had a zoom where I needed something really, really mindless and the lace wasn't mindless enough. So I cast on a hat, the Sockhead Slouch Hat by Kelly McClure, which is in fingering weight and is like three and a half inches of ribbing. And then you knit stockinette for seven inches. So this was definitely mindless knitting. When my first son started high school, I got some yarns from Knit, knit Circus. They have these, well, the colorways are based on Wisconsin area university colors. And they do a, it's kind of a gradient, but it's only two colors. So the one that I got for my first son, his high school colors are purple and gold. So it starts off mostly purple with little splotches of gold and then gets more and more gold until it's mostly gold with splotches of purple. And so they had one in red and white, which is my second son's colors. So I figured I needed a hat for that school as well. So I, that was what I finally got around to casting on because it's been sitting on my desk for a while. And that's, you know, totally mindless knitting. And it's good because with the three mystery knit-alongs, once you finish the clue, you can't really do anything until the next one comes out. So that's where I am at the moment is that I don't have anything else to work on. And I don't want to get something too involved because right. I will new clues coming out on Friday. Oh, and I did work on my Bautista a little bit more, the lace shawl from Celia McAdam. Cahill. Great. My lack yak lux yarn. So slowly making progress on that one. But yeah, all sorts of new things. Very exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad you have good distractions and good projects and to get you yeah. through this 
these weird times. Yeah, although, you know, they last for another two to four weeks, so you guys are going to have to hear about them for a while. There's not going to be too much else that I'm going to be knitting on, so apologies for the future. Okay, well, I'll put in my hat orders then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is on the easel? Oh, my gosh. So, in July, one, my oldest son requested a painting, and I've talked about it a little bit, it, it's a character from a show, so it's not anything that I ever, ever would have painted on my own. And he was so excited about it that I caved in and I painted this gigantic, it's like 36, 24 by 36 canvas. And I painted it in acrylic, which is not my first or second or even third choice medium. I was going along with it I think I got intimidated by the size and, and doing the details that I'm accustomed to doing. And so this week I decided that I was just gonna wrap it up because he really wanted to hang it in his like desk area and for, for distance learning. And so I made a big push this week to finish Appa is the name of the character and spent a lot of time refining and and sort of honoring acrylic as a medium and, and just allowing it to become what it was gonna become. And I, I think I was trying to make the, the details, I was fighting with them because I, he had a vision in his mind and he had sent me some like source images to use and I ended up just making it work for me and and making those mountains and like castles in the sky or whatever they are in my own way and he didn't even notice the difference between what he had sent me and and those backgrounds and he he did ask for he's a picky client frankly he did ask for me to um, refine a little bit of the main character and lighten up a part but otherwise he is totally in love with it so I finished it and then we hung it last night so I have officially displayed something I made for bingo well and done. I feel I feel really good about that then when I got it up on the wall and I realized it's not really that big 24 by 36 when you put it on a wall you know, like sometimes when I frame a piece of gouache art, I put it behind glass because gouache needs to be protected from moisture and dust and that kind of thing. And it was, it was really satisfying to just like take the canvas off the easel, put a bracket on it and hang it on the wall. It was so easy compared to what I have to do for the gouache. So that was really satisfying. And I feel like while I'm in this place of confidence with scale, large scale, I'm going to put another canvas on the easel today and start a seascape in oil. I'm done with the acrylic. It just, it doesn't behave how I want paint to behave. So I don't think that acrylic is my, my favorite, although it did great for this project. It was a really, it dried fast. It allowed me to go over places 
you know, when he wanted changes, it was easy to change and it blended beautifully. You know, it, it really did work for this application, but I'm ready to be a little bit more fussy and, and get back to the oils, which is something I wanted to do so much of this year and I haven't yet. So that's what's on the easel, big scale, but the little things I've been working on some lemon latitude pieces, little sketches, and I did a, an entry about the Kokeshi dolls and got some great conversations with people going about keepsakes. And a lot of people have had these little Kokeshi dolls in their lives and maybe didn't know the origins or have ones like mine, which are, I put a picture on stories, but mine are like these little bobble-headed things. That's so cute. And they're really charming. And my boys gave me these for, so I'm showing Monica my, my little wonky ones. These are from the 1950s and they're not collectible. But now I understand how they're made and how they get those heads to bobble like that. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. So Lemon Latitude is going strong. I got a great link from one of our IG followers, Lane V, and she sent me an awesome link to really authentic ramen, which is something I've actually been struggling to make because the the books that I the cookbooks that I have were talking about, and this is food related, but whatever. We're talking about authentic ramen noodles, and there's some controversy about making it with pasta, I guess. So anyhow. I so appreciate people chiming in with their Japan stories, and I'm hoping to hear more from people as, as I go forward with that. I'm working on the gouache scene, putting together pieces, and, and thinking about how to answer questions in a way that'll be really helpful to other gouache and gouache curious painters. I made myself a new pencil case, a bigger one. Can you hear the pencils rustling in there? I think it needs like a tassel or a pom-pom to really complete the look. We had a little sneak away break from the city and I, I always end up taking like so many pencil cases just to fit the, the um, pencil sharpener and the eraser in there. And so now I made a nice roomy one that'll fit the whole arsenal. And that feels great with really fun fabric. And I haven't made a pencil case in like 12 years. So I'm retiring really old pencil cases that had like raw edges on the inside. And mine are finished with like, my new ones are finished with seam binding tape. They're like way fancy, Monica. And I did my special little technique on the zipper so that there's a little tab of contrasting fabric on the zipper ends so that it just looks cleaner. And then my unart related thing this week was to clean out the art closet. I've been trying to tidy up my art space because it's my only refuge <laughs> in the in the house and I'm really grateful to have such a space but the closet was exploding and every time I went in there for something things were falling out and it was just a gargantuan mess 
and it took me two days to do the whole closet. But now that it's cleaned out, it's like a whole new world. I even left the doors off it because I'm really enjoying the uh, <laughs> clean space. But I'm going to put the doors back on today. You are just um, all kinds of fancy. Well, I did learn that a couple of the Goodwill drop-offs had opened up. And so oh. I felt like it was an opportunity to get some materials out and, and just clean up my act, basically. But now it's got me inspired to work on a couple things that I haven't been working on. And now, you know, I've got a, an easel that's ready for a new painting. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a good place on the easel. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. All right, on the table. I actually had a lot of things. Had a lot of things that I was thinking about talking about, but in the interest of time, I'm going to focus on my Bean Odyssey. So oh, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> I know you all were just waiting to hear how it was going. So last time I talked about winning the bean competition and getting all the beans from Rancho Gordo. And they arrived and I hadn't made anything with them yet. Also signed up to listen to a webinar. Um, there's a vegetarian cookbook author, Lucas Bulger, and he's done a bunch of stuff with Rancho Gordo. So he was talking about his new book, which is called Start Simple. It's all vegetarian recipes and it's based around 11 ingredients that he found he was always buying at the store. So it's, um, you know, how to kind of think about re recombining these ingredients in multiple ways. And so not cooking with a recipe, but using what you have and not shopping with a list and build off of the same basics, which is really not how I cook. <laughs> So it was a little bit, it was kind of hilarious listening because the, the three people on the webinar were like, oh yeah, I hate making lists. My mom always made a list. I thought it was crazy. I can't cook like that. I'm like, if I don't cook like that, I go crazy. So it was interesting though. But the idea of just being able to go to the store and get kind of the same basic things and, find, and cook with them is definitely appealing. There's a whole section on beans. So I thought that was great. Um, and also it's vegetarian, so that was um, really helpful as well, because one of the struggles that I've had is making tasty vegetarian food that is not doing 15 different complicated things, but and then has, having enough um, interest to satisfy my family. So I thought this would hit a lot of those targets. So Start Simple by Lucas Volger. And he also sent, if you did the webinar, you got five bean recipes to try right now. So... So I've been working on that book and I like it. There's a lot of really intriguing combos in there. It feels a bit like it is meant more for cooking for one or two people and not a family, especially one with teenage boys. So there's some really delicious things, but it's like, this makes an omelet. Like, well, I'm not going to sit there and make four omelets for dinner. Even though it sounded really delicious with like pickled onions and tahini I forget what else, maybe some greens in there as well. Like I would never think of that combo, but it sounds really interesting. So what I did make from there last night, no, two nights ago, we had the silken tofu with quick pan seared tomatoes, which again is not, I don't usually do the silken tofu. Um, and this was actually quite handy because it was one of the summer recipes where you don't need to turn the oven on for very long, which since we are having our every once in a while, California heat wave. Plus we couldn't open the windows because of the smoke. So it was actually pretty hot and it was nice not to turn the oven on. So that was pretty tasty. Um, I did a pineapple sriracha tofu where you make 
the sauce and you marinate the tofu, the regular firm tofu in the sauce and then bake it off. That one was a cool flavor, you know, just a little bit different. That sweet and spicy is always a good combo. I doubled the amount of tofu, so I doubled the amount of marinade and I don't know that I needed to do that because then you bake it and the marinade is supposed to cook down and it didn't cook down that much, so it was still pretty liquidy. So the flavor was good. I think that one, I just needed less sauce. And then I actually got to the beans. So that was exciting. I had black beans and King City Pinks. Um, both, of them, both of them I ended up cooking traditionally in a Dutch oven on the stove, not in my pressure cooker. Both of the recipes that I was going to use them for having the bean broth, which is the liquid that's left after you cook your beans, the bean broth was gonna be pretty necessary. So I went traditional. Um, and then I also read something in a Rancho Gorda book. It says the Instapot cooking of the beans is good, but doesn't give as much flavor. So I'm thinking I might try my chickpeas out um, because usually with the chickpeas, then I end up roasting them off and rolling them in spices. So I feel like the, having the broth and the intense flavor is not gonna be as important, but we shall, we shall see. But so I cooked the black beans it took a little longer than I thought, which always seems to be the problem with the beans. And I think I'm also not quite used to how tender or firm they should be. The texture is really different from canned beans. Even when they are tender, they're still pretty firm, which sounds kind of odd. And I'm sure all you professional bean cooks out there, or at least more experienced, are, you know, yelling at me through your, through your screen. So I'm still working on that. But they were super, they were huge. They were delicious. As I said, both tender and firm, we made tostadas with them and served it with pickled greens and uh, cotija, the cheese that's kind of like feta. We baked off the corn tortillas so they were nice and crispy. It was great. So that was really fun. And then we had beans for, for days, um, which, is, which is fine because my husband uses that a lot for his protein source. And I found myself making more tostadas and, you know, quick tacos for lunch as well. So that was really successful. And then this week I did actually yesterday, I cooked off the King City Pinks, which are mentioned in John Steinbeck's Tortilla Flat, which is one of my husband's favorite books. So that was kind of why I was like, well, I have to get these beans. <laughs> and they were really delicious. I also gave myself more time to cook them. So I started them in the morning and I really didn't have anything else going on. So I could just not panic if they weren't done after 45 minutes or whatever the initial cooking time was. And so that worked really well. And then made the actual soup in the evening, which didn't take very long. So it was a beans and greens soup. So you saute onions and a ton of garlic, throw those in, you wilt some greens and throw those in. Um, then you add the beans, a little more stock and all the bean broth, a little bit of cream, bay leaves, lemon peel, and, you know, simmer it all for about 15 minutes. It was delicious. And I would swear there was bacon in there. And there was. Wow. So that was good. I had some, some uh, for my Levenses before we started recording. <laughs> pretty, pretty delicious. Served it with some cornbread. Yeah, I was impressed. So I am so, my bean odyssey thus far. So you're, you're earning your keep in the bean competition. Apparently, yes. So I did, you know, I, I ordered all the beans and I actually used them. So I remember at the beginning of quarantine, there was someone posted, someone that had been, you know, a bean cooker before quarantine, when everyone started buying all the beans, they're like, 
we get to the end of this and you still have beans that you haven't eaten, like you have to pay everyone that is an actual bean cooker a million dollars for stealing That's our beans. So I feel that I, I have done my work and I really, and I, they are, it is pretty amazing how delicious they are compared to canned. But it was interesting, the, um, the cook, so the, the cookbook, the bean section, he has recipes that are for canned beans and recipes that are more for ones that you would cook on your own, depending on what you're doing with them. Um, so he is not, a, definitely not against, and he's obviously like you could use your own cooked beans. So for, for our last episode, when you won the bean competition and I painted the, you had sent me your three bags of beans and then I painted a couple of them for our like podcast cover. Right. And um, I made a huge mistake that no one noticed that I had the wrong name. I had like, I don't even remember now. The wrong name. Yeah. yeah, Garbanzo on the black bean bag because I was in paint mode and didn't even pay attention. <laughs> that cracks me up. Maybe me alone, but I kind of love it. Yeah. yeah, I like it. So yeah, so I kind of like the book. The only, my, my one issue with the, the Start Simple book, um, I love the ideas, but as I'm, since I do actually like to plan out things and I like a lot of variety with my book as well. So the problem with using 11 ingredients for all of your recipes, more or less, is that then you just have 11 flavors. So it's like, oh, this one sounds good, but it's squash and greens. And this one sounds good as well, but it's greens and squash. So <laughs> I don't want to have, that's not, and I know like, I think you guys eat that way a little bit more. A lot of people are super into that. That's just not how I can get through my yeah. week. So it's a little bit, it might be perfect for you. It's I'll look into it. Book that I'm giving. Yeah. And that was why I was seriously thinking like, Ooh, should I get two copies and give it to Courtney? But I wasn't <laughs> at all about this book, but yeah, we might, we might have to get you a copy and see what you think. Have to take a, take at least take a peek through mine. Okay, um, but it is it is a full full vegetarian, good and definitely you know they're they're pretty much simple recipes, easy cooking and yeah, lots of good things in there. So I'm excited to to keep moving forward with that and to keep exploring the world of beans. So good. That's my report. How about you? Well, we had our little escape up to the Sierra Nevadas, or the, is that what we call them? Yeah. Um, to a very well, quiet I would say Nevada. Nevada. How do you say it? Because I'm Sierra Nevada. But okay. that's I'm from here. <laughs> okay. Um, so I had a, a slight break from cooking, although it was very hard to procure food up in the wilderness. You know, we did a lot of restaurant drive drive and go you know grab and go but I was talking to the kids about how I had this open square on my bingo sheet for the restaurant Disney recipe inspired recipes and we because we don't we're not fluent in chain restaurants and we've only been to Disneyland once we did we were kind of struggling to think of something. And then my older son said, oh, you need to make Panda Express beef broccoli. Oh, that's a good one. 
I went yes. on to Pinterest and put in restaurant recipes. There's oh my this, gosh. But it was all, yeah. And I think- There was a lot of gluten involved in all of them, so. <laughs> a lot of gluten <laughs> and a lot of um, deep frying, <laughs> which I don't have a deep fryer, but my other son wants like Chinese food orange chicken and that requires deep frying like a, any orange chicken does. So I'm not sure how I'm gonna accomplish that one. But the Panda Express beef broccoli was an interesting adventure for a couple reasons. First, it called for a Chinese cooking wine that I didn't really have a lot of experience with. And it was, it did add a lot of flavor. I did not use oyster sauce because the grocery store was out of oyster sauce. So I just substituted with a little bit of uh, fish sauce and soy sauce. Oh, by the way, vegans and vegetarians, this one is like not for you. <laughs> this is like, this is for the omnivores. Um, the beef is kind of a clue. Yeah. But a technique, a brand new technique to me that I had never done before. I, I looked at a lot of different copycat versions of this recipe. And one of them had a baking soda tenderizer. Again, this is for the omnivores. This works for chicken, pork, and beef. You can dissolve baking soda in water and you use like one teaspoon of baking soda and a half a cup of water for every 12 ounces of meat, roughly, and let it permeate the meat. And what it does is it, according to... Uh, those very smart people over at Cook's Illustrated, the baking soda alkalizes the meat surface and it makes it harder for the proteins to bond. And so the meat stays super tender. This recipe that I used didn't say to rinse off the baking soda. And I was so nervous that it wasn't, that it was, it was going to taste the baking soda, but it did something else to the sauce and made it like bubbly and glossy and it was very interesting to cook that way and when I tasted it out of the pot initially for to test for seasoning I thought "Ooh, I don't know if this is gonna work I'm gonna have to send Adam to go pick up <laughs> beef broccoli somewhere because I could taste the baking soda I know it was so nerve-wracking but then as I let it simmer on the stove and added in the broccoli, it really did dissolve into it. And that beef was really tender. So now that I'm looking at other recipes, most recipes say after like a couple of hours that you can, you know, you let it rest in the fridge for two or three hours and then you rinse off the meat before you cook it and then dry it or whatever you're gonna do. It works great for smaller cuts of meat, chicken, pork, and beef. And that was totally out of my comfort zone because remember, do you remember my, my a year ago I made the biscuits and I put too much baking soda in there and you could, I could taste it and everybody still ate them and they still tease me about those biscuits. So I was really nervous about putting this together and having them. <laughs> so you and baking soda are friends again. Yeah, I'm impressed. It really worked. I think next time I would rinse it off 
although I think it was meant to be a part of the sauce process for this particular recipe, but my kids said that it wasn't as tasty as Panda Express. Whatever. To that, I say, well, sorry. My younger son wants the orange chicken, which is different scary because it requires deep frying the chicken. And I don't, I never do that. I don't know how I mean, I'm going to do that. You could also go, oh no, that's P.F. Chang's. I don't know. You can go to the freezer department and well, Trader some bags. Trader Joe's has the, yeah. And I actually like theirs and I just go really easy on the sauce when I've gotten that, that frozen version. But anyway, it was a great way to involve the kids with the, my little boondoggle for a, a restaurant recipe. So check there. And then I made them a sour cream coffee cake for back to school. I usually like to do a banana bread or something like that so that they can like wrap it in tin foil and off they go. And you know, they're here. <laughs> so I made coffee cake, a sour cream coffee cake, and it has like a layer of brown sugar and cocoa in between mm. the, the cake and the that middle layer was really good, but the topping was very dry and it didn't really hold together. And I think it was lacking in fat, frankly. I have made a coffee cake in the past that was such a, a caloric bomb that I was trying to find something a little bit friendlier. But that one that is so great has vegetable margarine in the mm -hmm. topping. I don't love the flavor, but I love how the crumb holds up. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if I could alter it so that it was part vegetable margarine and part butter. And maybe the flavor would be better. It wouldn't have that, you know, that weird right. margarine flavor. So the coffee cake was kind of, I mean, they ate it. But they're, they also ate the shortcake with all the baking soda in it. So I almost <laughs> don't trust them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. Not a, not a lot of, I mean, I, we've still made like skillet tacos and rice bowls and all my component cooking to get us, to get us rolling on the back to school thing. So it's been good. Major, cool. major win with Panda Express copycat recipe. I was going to do Dole Whip this week. <gasps> my grocery store was out of frozen pineapple. So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's <laughs> the weirdest things that are, that are not available at the moment. I know oyster sauce and frozen pineapple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a pandemic. It's a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so I will report back on my, that is still because we are, we are getting down to, down to the wire. So, you know, cool. during, during all of that heat, I didn't cook. We had seriously had cereal one night. Um, but I did make myself an iced matcha latte and I am claiming it for my fridge freezer recipe because it absolutely saved the day. <laughs> yes. I was pretty proud of myself. I had not checked the weather report. I had no idea we were having a heat wave that, that it was coming down. So I had the first night of, of the heat wave, I had planned a baked zucchini and the night two was some chicken parm. Oh my gosh, no way. Neither of those sounded in any way appetizing. I'm like, I'm not turning the oven on. So I ended up doing, I think I sauteed the zucchini and did some other, I forget what I did. Some stovetop stuff that did not involve a half hour in the oven. 
And then by Sunday night, it had cooled down enough that I was able to do the chicken parm, which is a skillet one. You just, most of the cooking is done on the stovetop and then it goes in the oven for a little bit just to get the cheese bubbly. What is, what does Simon eat when you do chicken parm? Oh, I do a separate pan of uh, portobello parm. Ah, you're so good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I've kind of gotten used to it now. It's always, always, and I've kind of gotten into a good groove where I'll do a just straight vegetarian meal, maybe four or five nights a week. And then the other two or three will involve meat as well. So we kind of, I'm not going crazy every night. Yeah. But we're also still getting, getting our, our meat protein in for those of us that like that. So good. We're getting there. Definitely getting there. On the nightstand, and back to a more normal set of books. I'm glad you are. I'm woeful. Woeful. What you got? So I started with Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. We had some really funny text conversations as I was finishing up this book. Courtney read it. I think it was two episodes ago you talked about it. It is creepy and weird for sure, but not keep you up at night creepy, or at least it wasn't for me. And I generally don't read, like I've never read a Stephen King book because I'm just too freaked out. Um, yeah, I don't read horror anything. Yeah. yeah. So this was just acceptably creepy, <laughs> very strange. Like uh, m- magical, spooky, magical realism, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would say. So I'll do a quick recap in case you didn't listen to the recent episode. Noemi is kind of a society girl, party girl in 1950s Mexico City. Um, She is in college and wants to go to grad school, but her family is saying no. And then her dad gets a letter from her cousin who has recently married and moved to the country. It's a really weird letter and it does not sound like her cousin. And she's talking about voices she's hearing and people in the walls and very strange things. So her dad says, you need to go visit her, see what's going on. Her husband isn't telling me anything. He says, everything's fine. I don't believe it. Go figure it out. Then I'll send you to grad school if you bring her home. So she's pretty invested. So away she goes. It is a weird family. They're not really letting her in to talk to her cousin. And when she does get in briefly, she's definitely weird. Creepy big house. They don't talk to anybody in the village kind of thing. And then Noemi starts having nightmares and it goes on from there. More and more weirdness. I liked it. It was definitely weird, but it was kind of light. It wasn't heavy, which was a very odd combination in my mind. I really liked it. That's a great way to describe it. And I thought her character was really well drawn. You got to know so much about her just from the opening scenes. You know, even though she doesn't do a lot. She's basically at a party, but you still really get to know her and, and you know, the way she behaves and the rest of the book makes sense. So I really liked it. And I liked the way it was both, you know, hit all the Gothic tropes, but also you could tell it was not in England. It was Mexico and the different push and pull between the English family and, and her Mexican heritage and, you know, very interesting. And, and I really liked I really like that. I'm uh, glad. Thumbs up a, on that one, yeah. Yeah, fun was, read. I got it from the library and there was no wait list, which I thought was odd because I've seen it on so many lists and, you know, must read and 
but you know, worked out well for me. Then I read Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, which is, I guess, technically a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but more a retelling of Bridget Jones's diary. So it's a romance. Luke is the son of a absentee rock star father, which means that he, Luke, is famous enough to get his picture taken by the paparazzi whenever he messes up and does something embarrassing during his party boy lifestyle, which happens a lot. Luke works as a fundraiser for a charity and some of the more conservative donors have seen the pictures and are withdrawing their support. His boss is upset because you need to fix this. So he decides what he needs to do is have his picture taken with a nice appropriate boyfriend doing you know, appropriate socially acceptable things. So he, he asks all his friends, like, do you know any guys? And his one friend is like, oh, I've got the perfect guy. The problem is, while he is great on paper, he's handsome, he's a lawyer, you know, doing really well, has his own place. The problem is Luke has met him and he's a jerk. They don't get along. It's a very disastrous first meeting. But for some reason, they both agree to try to meet up for this dinner and see what's going to happen. Shenanigans ensue. It was delightful. I was laughing out loud at some parts. There is a lot of snarkiness uh, about the British upper classes, which is hilarious. There is a lot of growth. But the, it, it's a really a lot like Bridget Jones in that the beginning, your narrator, your hero is so annoying and you just want to shake them. And by the end, you're like, oh, they're really, you know, they've grown a lot. They're really sweet. The whole thing is sweet. I really liked it. It was very cute. The secondary characters aren't terribly well drawn, which is a little bit annoying, but I mean, they're mostly kind of a Greek chorus of comic relief. So <laughs> I will accept that. And I realize this is actually the second book by Alexis Hall that I've read. His other one um, was a retelling of like a feminist multicultural retelling of Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that one I really enjoyed as well. I think I might've talked about that one on the podcast, but a year or so ago. So that was Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall and very amusing. I think I read it in the morning. So. Oh my gosh. That's great. It was cute. Next, I read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, which is the prequel to the oh. Songbirds series. Interesting. I like the title. It's a good title. It might be the best thing about it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, that's not entirely fair. My main issue, I think a lot of the appeal of this book is that you know what's going to happen 65 years later. And so you're seeing characters and events that are going to change. And it's interesting to see how they are early on. So part of it is like, ooh, how are we going to get to what we know is going to happen in the future? And you know, well, so backing up, it takes place in the, the country of Panem, which is the future of America, apparently. It has just survived a civil war, the capital versus the districts. The rich elite all live in the capital. The districts are where all the manufacturing and industry are that supply the capital. It was a pretty brutal civil war. And once it ended, the capital decided that so no one would ever forget the horrors of war. The districts would each send a boy and a girl ages 12 to 18, once a year to the capital, be involved in a arena fight to the death until one of them was left. So this is the 
10th Hunger Games. And for context, the original series starts off with the 74th Hunger Games. So the war is just over. People all lived through it. So it's really kind of personal, I think, more so than it is in the original trilogy. So it's the 10th Hunger Games. People are starting to question the, necess the necessity of it. Maybe we shouldn't kill the children. And it's kind of boring. So they're trying to find ways to make it more interesting. And they come up with having some of the children of the elite will be mentors. They'll each get paired up with one of the, the kids that are coming from the districts to kind of guide them, maybe talk strategy, get to know them, interview them, make it more personal. So enter Cornelius Snow, who will later become the villain of the Hunger Games trilogy. He's of a highborn family, but they lost all their money in the war. And it's just him and his grandmother and a cousin. Um, so his goal is to get a scholarship to university and rebuild the family fortune. But he is matched up with the girl from District 12, so he's not expecting anything of his or her chances. But then when they televise the ceremony of choosing the tributes, as they call them, the girl who is picked is wearing a amazing roughly rainbow-colored dress. On her way up to the stage, she drops a snake down a fancy-pants-looking girl's dress, causing a bit of consternation everywhere, and then gets up on stage and sings an amazing song in a gorgeous voice. So everyone is like, who is this girl? What is going on? Um, so he thinks, oh, maybe, I, maybe we can work something here. Uh, and it goes on from there. So, so it's really interesting because you meet him as an 18-year-old. He's really a kid. He wants to do good things for his family. He wants to take care of his grandmother and his cousin and you know, and make something of himself. But you know, and you know he's going to be able to because he'll be president, but he's going to be evil, right? So it's like, it's not, you're not making choices and choosing well, which is hard. And I think not everyone is able to do that. He's making choices and you know he's going to make bad choices, which will be good for his family, ultimately. But not, you know, seeing someone turn to evil is, is I. I, at least I found kind of less interesting and compelling than watching someone choose well. So that was kind of my problem with the book. It was, you know, there was some good twists and turns and it was interesting seeing how it all worked out and how she did get there. But ultimately a lot of it, as I said, a lot of the, the excitement was seeing how, how they would get to what you knew the characters would end up as. Not my favorite. I did really enjoy Lovely War by Julie Berry. It is World War II, and the gods are hanging out in Manhattan. <laughs> um, Hephaestus has captured his wife, Aphrodite, having an affair with his brother, Ares. And like, it sounds like grown-up Percy Jackson. <laughs> it kind of is. So he wants to put her on trial, but she convinces him, no, we'll just, we'll do the trial in this hotel room. I'm going to tell you a story and make my case for why I shouldn't be punished. So she's, she starts telling a story that involves kind of all the gods and she has to call a couple more of them for witnesses. Um, but it's, so it's basically the story of four young people that are involved in World War I. Two of them are British. They meet right before he is shipped off to France. She's a piano player. There's also a musician, a black musician from America and a Belgian refugee. Um, and they all meet up and the twists and turns of their 
romance. Um, so it's not a romancy romance, but there is romance. And the gods are, you know, how they play with people. And it was really beautiful. And, and you know, I mean, it's a war story, a war romance. So there's a lot of stuff about the Trent being in the trenches and the horrors of war and, you know, but it was really nice. And, you know, good things about love and the importance of it. Um, yeah. And then I read His Bloody Project by Graham McRae Burnett, which was long listed for the Booker Prize a few years ago. Yeah, yep. that the cover rings a bell, but I haven't read it. What'd you think? I I liked it. It's set up as if the author has found all these documents about a trial that took place in Scotland in 1869. So there's like witness statements and then you get the murderer's statement and then the trial records. So it's a little bit of a mystery, a little bit of a whodunit. Three people were murdered in this tiny little village in the highlands. And this 17 year old, everyone's like, uh, he like walks up the street, comes back covered in blood. And he's like, yeah, I did it. So there's not really a mystery about it, but the kind of why and how he got to that point is pretty interesting. And then you, you're reading his statement and things about it are a little off. You know, some of them don't quite make sense. So, you know, figuring out what actually happened. And, and it, it totally sounded as if they were regular, they were actual documents, the way it's set up and the, the different voices he uses for the different reports really make it feel like you're just reading these these documents that he found in an archive so that was it was it was really interesting and not a, not too long but yeah very very good and then i listened to cloud atlas by david mitchell which was a movie a few years ago with tom hanks and halle berry and all sorts of people um, and we've had the book forever and i never read it and my husband just finished listening to it and that was why we rewatched the movie and he's like oh the book was so much better which I would agree. Although I think, I don't think they did a horrible job with the movie. I think it would have been hard to do it in the same format, but it's six different people who are all connected. It starts off in like the 1840s and goes to the way, way, way far future about connections. And it, it kind of, it's not a straight chronology. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a, it's a strange book, but I really enjoyed it. You get really into these people's lives it's on my bookshelf and I've tried to read it a couple times and I just can't sink into it. But maybe mm -hmm. listening to the audio would help me. You know, the time, the time jumping is hard for me. So maybe mm -hmm. listening to it for a little bit and then I can go pick up the paper copy. I found it useful. Some of the more future ones, the language they use is a little tricky just listening to it so it was helpful to have that to go back to and kind of see what they're saying and not just hear it yeah uh, i didn't find the time jump i'm not sure if because i had seen the movie it was the time jumping made sense and for me like the the chunks are pretty big of the time it's not they're not the movie they're jumping all around all the time um, okay. and the book it's a little bit more forward that one i enjoyed as well it's been a good two weeks good I've had a couple false starts with, I mean, not, not, um, not that I didn't like the book, just that things were moving really slowly and mm -hmm. I couldn't sink into it. Like I'm reading um, The Flight Portfolio by Julie Oranger and it, it takes place during World War II. 
and it's based on the true story of Julian Fry, who helps 200 artists and their families get out of France, occupied France through the Pyrenees. Ooh. And it's based in a true story. It is a true story. And it's, you know, um, she's fictionalized it a little bit, but clearly has done a huge amount of research. And it is, it's just not a fast book to read. So I'm slowly moving through that one. I read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I was listening to a podcast called How to Fail and talking about how to fail well and learn from a failure and move forward from it. And she was one of the featured guests. And I don't know if you know anything about her story. This is, this is a memoir, but she like was the cover on some lists. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool cover. Her, her original memoirs were talking about her life as a Christian and then her husband had confessed to multi multiple infidelities and how she was gonna like fight for her marriage. And I didn't read any of those. And this book is about how she left her marriage and is now married to Abby Wambach, the soccer player. So she's, and that is almost a hundred percent why I picked up this book because I really like Abby Wambach. I, I remember when I remember watching the women's team and just, it was, it was when we, right when we had left college and it was really empowering. And so I wanted to hear that story and the, and their, their, romance and how how that connection those connections happen so I was really interested in that side of it but it's not quite a book for me I know a lot of people absolutely love Glennon Doyle and her work and her writing you know she talks about her bulimia and her substance abuse her um she's sober now but she talks about her drinking and how she became sober. I, I think that there isn't a ton for me to relate to. I mean, I can totally empathize with somebody who's gone through struggles like that. And it, it's not like I have to know what that's like to um, appreciate her book. But I feel like the stories are so, and maybe if I had read her other memoirs, I could sink into this one a little bit more. But for me, it was, I guess I was looking for more of her making this really dramatic shift from a Christian married to an unfaithful man to being in love with a woman. That, that was really compelling to me. And there, I recognize too that that's super private, but she shares an awful lot about everything else. So I, I guess it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was good for poolside while we were away. And it's just totally different than anything I've read. And now in an attempt to read an award winner, <laughs> I am, and this is also me trolling my bookshelves for like, what haven't I read that has won an award? Two completely disparate books. One 
is The Disappearing Spoon by Sam Keen. This is nonfiction, and it's stories about the periodic table of the elements. Whoa. Yes. I love this kind of thing, though. I am fascinated with, he's giving a great history of how the periodic table was built, who discovered certain elements and how they were so close to finding other ones if they had only like been in this one little part of Sweden and just he's making these elements really accessible in terms of storytelling and it is awesome and I'm about halfway through so I can't credit it yet on my bingo sheet and then last night I also picked up Life of Pi by Yann Martell have you not read that? I have never read that. Wow. I think my entire household has. And I don't think square a book that you haven't read that everyone else has. Oh yeah. I, remind me and I'll write that down after. I don't know why I haven't read this. Last night I picked it up. I'm like 150 pages deep now. It it's why haven't I gotten this far? Right I think part of it is our version, our copy, and me, I don't know if everyone's has this, has a really long introduction. And I don't, I think in previous times, the, the introduction has had me like, huh, do I really want to read this? And so this time, I just, I couldn't even remember what the introduction was about. And so I just skipped it and dove into the story. And I am committed. I'm committed. Excellent. So don't tell me what's happening. I'm going to have to report back next week because I am, I'm there. Cool. So you don't know anything about it really. I mean, I know, I know, I know the general, you know, that he, his dad has a zoo and they've got to get these animals like to South America and they're going to, and the backstory right now is his, time in Canada and you know they talked about how it was named and I don't know I don't know how I never got this far into the book before but I'm happy to be there cool well enjoy thank you so I'm 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 down to like three bingo squares so that'll cover one of them (laughs) (laughs) nice and our libraries are opening up so you can get new books are you so I know but it it only leaves us a week for bingo. So that's why I felt like I had to do the, yeah. I had to just forge ahead with the winner on my own. Fair enough. It's true. All right. So bingo. Bingo. Um, it is ending September 7th, which is actually pretty close. So to enter, you need to post a photo of your bingo card with a completed row or column or diagonal or, you know, do a blackout, knock yourself out with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2020 on Instagram or in our Ravelry thread if it is safe for you to do so since they haven't fixed anything yet. And that's really the only rule. We are going to do the drawing on September 8th or 9th. And we will announce the winner on our September our episode that comes out September 9th. So we're going to do a little magical editing and, and whatnot to make that happen um, so that you guys can, can have your winner and the winner can get their prize before October, which is, you know, 
which I think will be nice. We can all have something to look forward to. Right now, I'm just seeing two finished completed entries. So both on Ravelry, Craft Buzz and Soulmate have posted and Craft Buzz has actually posted several bingos. So that's exciting. So if you have posted one and I'm not saying your name, please check in if you can keep checking and, you know, make sure you go ahead and get your entries in, right? Although right now your chances are pretty good of being our winner. We are well, a lovely prize package. Pearl is, is really entering great stuff on Instagram too. She did an illustrated. Hey, Pearl yeah. She did a, a beautiful illustrated recipe and she is, does tons of sewing. And so she did a little art quilt and amazing. I, yeah, I'm really excited to, I don't know where her bingo, sh if she's been posting her bingo sheet. And then Trish in Louisiana, has she been posting anything? I haven't. I don't think I've seen anything recently. Tamara posted last week that she's working on some stuff. Um, I know, I know you people are out there. Gotta, yeah. gotta finish up. My friend Kelly is working on some things. So I'm looking, looking forward to seeing her entry. And then Maggie, Maggie Kay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We know you're out there, people. Yeah. Yep. And if I can just do one last plug for Summer Bingo before we share where we're at with ours. In a summer that has been otherwise, insert your choice adjective, it <laughs> is very satisfying to have all of these squares filling up. You know, even though they're small things, I just, it, it has made a difference in my mood and how we're, you know, talking about things as a family, you know, like the restaurant recipes and getting my kids excited about it. And, you know, some of these were not, they were not just me. You know, I gave sourdough to Telly and I shared books with people and people have shared books with me and they're not all successes for sure. Like my terrible plum crisp. But on the other hand, I don't know that I would have attempted half of them if we hadn't have done this project. So thank you, Monica, for encouraging another summer of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat Bingo. Yeah, thank you for putting it together. Yeah, it's fun. You are a whiz at this. What have I done? Well, I was going to do the Dole Whip. That was my big plan for this, this week, and that didn't happen because no pineapple. Um, <laughs> Can and then, take, can't you just take a can of pineapple and chuck it in the freezer? <laughs> yes, probably that would have worked. That's a good point. That was too much. It wasn't on my list. My cart was already totally full. If I had to go back, and I actually follow the arrows in my grocery yeah. store. Thank you very much. So it would have been like three loops to get to the canned pineapples. So that wasn't going to happen. I'm teasing you. <laughs> Don't cook that way. There's no, there's no doing things on the fly. Since frozen pineapple, I'm going with frozen pineapple. Come on, Courtney. You know me here. Um, and then I did, I, I did a cocoa stencil on my iced coffee treat. The first one I did, I had forgotten. Like I, I, I don't know if I've done them before. I, I, in theory, know that you have to like shake it over. Like you can't just. Yeah. So, but I forgot. So the first one I did, it said, the instruction said, make sure you, you know, 
put the cocoa on there generously so that it fills in all the holes and you can really see the design. So I was like, okay, took a scoop of cocoa, blopped it, <laughs> removed the stencil. which <laughs> was just like this pile of cocoa on top of my whipped cream on top of my coffee. It's like, well, that looks odd. I did that wrong. So I took it over to the sink and I was like, I'll just blow it off. Because <laughs> like, it was way too much cocoa. So I had cocoa blowing everywhere in my kitchen, which was not a good 7 a.m. event. And then when I went to drink it, there was still a lot of it. So I inhaled it. So I'm coughing on cocoa now. So the picture that I took was my second go around because I still had some whipped cream left over. I was like, all right, I can do this. Finding a, a thin enough strainer to make it, because I don't have a sifter. So I found like a, a tea caddy thing and like uh -huh. scraped the cocoa through there. So it worked better, but it was taking forever. So I couldn't, I didn't quite get it thick enough, but you could, you could sort of see it was a pineapple wearing sunglasses. So it was very cute. And the coffee was delicious. And, but the point of this was, this is supposed to be a new technique. <laughs> and I went to mark it off and I was so excited. I'm looking at all the blank ones. I'm like, where is this? Was this only on last year's? And then I realized, oh, I already did that. That was my top down hat at the beginning of the summer. So, but it was good. And I, 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 yeah. yeah. I got to do something new again that I maybe wouldn't have done. You know, when one of your little spices runs out, you can put cocoa in there and like turn it into a shaker oh, if you don't have a little sieve. That's an idea, except that I usually take the holy thing on top and chuck it because I don't usually sprinkle spices. Well, then I'll save one for you. Yeah. All right. The next time I, oh, I just got oregano. I don't know if I've used it yet. Maybe I can save that one. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and I haven't checked off a word. I must have read an award winner by now. I'm sure you have. For something hey. I've read as an award. I know. So did you have any other ones? No. I haven't officially checked off display something you've made, but I mean, I've posted plenty of things on Instagram. Yeah. So I can check that one off. That definitely counts. Yeah. I have four. Nice. I hung, I hung Appa, the creature, for my son. That's a display something? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm more pleased that I actually finished the painting. I think he is too. So that was just a huge treat to hang it and then get a bingo credit for it. <laughs> then so I made one thing, bingo square. That's the way to go. Right. I know. It's such an accomplishment. Then I have the restaurant Panda Express copycat recipe. And I am totally claiming the baking soda as my new meat tenderizing technique. And then cheating a little bit with my fridge freezer recipe with my iced matcha latte, but it was so hot, I deserve it. Yes. <laughs> so that only leaves three squares for me. Kitchen wow. dance party, which should be easy. That can be your last one and be like celebrating. Yeah, right my reading and award winner, which I have in progress. And then my middle one, my anything, vacation, crafting, cooking, reading. Yeah. You read on vacation. I did read on vacation, but I read the, the untamed, which I don't know. And then I, I sketched while I was on vacation. I think I need like a mini art retreat vacation. And that's what I'm saving that for. Like just a in-city, go downtown, draw buildings, that kind of thing. Got it. Sounds I have like a plan. 
I have a plan. Yeah, I have a few. I need to. I need to review. I need to. Yeah, check on those ones that I think I should have already done. There's no reason I can't complete this. I just need to. So where are your missing ones? Uh, I need to do a gratitude list. I need to repair something that might be tricky. I don't repair things. New to you, me can, you can repair your cocoa technique. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Send a recipe to a friend. I don't know why I haven't done that. My Disney recipe, but that one is, yeah, that one. And read a book about a craft of choice. Hmm. So that one I feel is tricky without the library. I guess I can, well, I read my bean cookbook. Does right, that, that counts. Okay, then done, check. Check, like there's your bean cookbook. Write it in there. Yeah. All right, okay. cool. Bean cooking crafts the beans. Yeah, you totally win this. Excellent. I'm the bean queen now. Yep. I'm going to make myself a tiara. Okay, you do that. All right. Until next time, bingo away and do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. You are frozen. Hello? No, you're frozen. Am I back? You there? There we go. There we go. Are we back? We are. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. Can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or CourtneySF. That's C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.